Welcome to the Swarthmore Athletics Podcast. I'm Brandon Hodnett. And I'm Matt Judge. Matt, good to uh, be talking with you over Zoom here. I know you're on campus right now. I'm at home. Students are coming back on campus. Have you seen anybody on campus today? Or I have actually seen uh, some students on campus. They're getting checked in right now. They're getting their COVID test and they're kind of just trying to get their new normalcy back right now. Yeah, it's good to have uh, juniors and sophomores back on campus. This semester, they were away while freshmen and sophomores were here. In the fall, as we're trying to keep campus from being completely full again this semester. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it is definitely encouraging to see people back on campus. And we've been lonely. They, they haven't been, there haven't been students on campus since before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, it's been very difficult. I mean, I, it's weird seeing them back, but it's, it's nice. We did an inter- interview with Marie Mancini recently, kind of outline, outlining um, the different ways that we're addressing COVID protocols this spring as teams will be getting back to practice soon here shortly. Um, and, you know, speaking of some of these videos that we've done, people have seen us, Matt, on some of these videos in the podcasts, but I don't think they necessarily know a lot of what we do. Um, if you just want to start by telling the people that are watching this and listening to this, uh, kind of, you know, when games are in full swing and even now that they're not, what are some of the things that we do, Matt? So anything you see on social media and anything you see on SwarthmoreAthletics.com is everything that Brandon and I do. I'm the assistant director of athletic communications. And when things are in full swing, I handle the sports media. I'm the primary contact for volleyball, field hockey, uh, women's basketball, indoor and outdoor track and field, baseball and softball. Those are my primary sports, but I help cover your sports as well because it's all hands on deck, especially when we're hosting games. So when we're hosting games, we're responsible for making sure the stats are ready to go, uh, making sure the video streams are ready to go so that if you can't make it to the game, you're watching on our broadcast channels. That's just a little glimpse into it, but there's so many different things that we do. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're making digital game programs before the games. Uh, you know, we're keeping stats. We're doing PA announcing. We're doing, you know, announcing on the broadcasting, uh, getting, making sure photos are being taken, highlight videos are made, uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, game days are definitely the craziest, especially in the spring when we have softball, baseball, and you know, either men's or women's lacrosse all going on at the same time. And that can get a little hectic, but. It can. The crossover season is definitely, I think, very hectic. Um, When I started in October 2019, we were in the middle of the fall season. So I jumped right into the ship. Um, Then we were beginning from fall. The fall season was ending. Then we're jumping right into the winter season. So I remember when we had men's soccer NCAA tournament here, and then we had to jump right over and had a basketball doubleheader so it's kind of we were running all over the place so when a crossover season like that happens when there's only two facilities that are occupied it's it's very hectic yeah it can be a lot but you know we love it we we live for the game days and we can't wait to see them back on campus but um one of the things that we have been doing to you know to occupy our time and to make sure that we're staying productive has been, we've been doing a lot of historical research in our office and we have tons of records, tons of, um, you know, hard copies of box scores, old photographs, 
and we want them to be accessible to people online. So um, Matt, maybe you can just talk a little bit about the things that we've been doing to get them digitized and, and organized in a, in a good way. So like you mentioned, uh, we're in the office, but we're switching days so that we're COVID safe, you know, <laughs> Uh, but we are scanning old box scores. We're scanning old pictures. Um, we're trying to get some old video back onto our Google Drive. Uh, it's under comprehensive history. We have everything from every sport there. As, as long as we have the records, we're trying to get them onto the Google Drive so that alum can see what their stats were when they were here. Definitely uncovered a lot of gems in our office and uh, you know, we just we, we want them to be available to all the alumni out there and make sure that things aren't being lost to history. Um, and and you know, we're going to we're going to touch on some of our findings here later in the show. But um, another thing that we've been doing during this time is making sure that when we do come back to playing sports, um, that, you know, we're just taking things to the next level. And one of those ways is improving our our broadcasts. And, you know, we feel like we have a really good broadcasting program already, but we want to take things to the next level again. And so, you know, when teams are playing again, hopefully in the fall, um, you know, there's expect to see different camera angles that you've never seen before. Um, and just different, it's things should look different and better um, based on what you remember from the last time we had a broadcast. So exciting changes coming down the line. And um, we think, we think everyone will be happy with them. Definitely. And I agree. We're trying to make our fan experience not only great for those that attend the games, but also those that are watching from afar because our student population comes from all over the country and even from all over the world. So we want to make sure that their family and friends are able to watch their games in the best possible way. I think it was like two years ago, I did a survey of where all of our athletes were from. And we had more student athletes from California than Pennsylvania. And that that just kind of seems like a common tread. We had so many states and different countries around the world represented. And so for us, live streaming our games is really important to us mm -hmm. because we know that people are tuning in from all over the world. Yeah, I think you have that map hanging in uh, the lobby of Tarbell Pavilion, which is actually really eye-opening to see. Yeah. It's because you think, I grew up in Delaware County, so I knew of Swarthmore College mm -hmm. just from growing up in the community. How do other students hear about Throthorn College? It's a small school, but we are going to touch on how big of an academic institution Swarthmore College really is. And this is interesting. We um, were just ranked number one in the country uh, among liber liberal arts. And I'm kind of jumping ahead in our program a little bit, but I think this is a good time to mention it. But uh, Forbes magazine recently just ranked Swarthmore College uh, the best liberal arts college in the U.S., based on academic influence. And uh, the way they came up with that, it's a new college rankings method. It uses artificial intelligence to search these massive databases. And it's measuring the impact of work by individuals affiliated with the college um, throughout the world. And uh, so kind of based on that, they've seen that you know graduates of Swarthmore have made this huge impact worldwide. And based on that, they're ranking us the number one liberal arts college in the world. So that's pretty cool. It's very cool. And I think it's well-deserved because you talk to some of these student athletes and kind of have to ask them to repeat what they're studying because I don't fully understand it, <laughs> but they definitely do. And it's, it's impressive what they're studying. 
Uh, well, Matt, let's shift gears here a little bit and let's talk. Uh, it's a couple of days after the Super Bowl that we're filming this. Um, you know, Super Bowl feels like feels like Tom Brady's in it every year, mm-hmm. and and he won he won it again this year, seventh Super Bowl uh, win for him. Uh, what were your thoughts from the game and um, some of the takeaways from that? I'm a little biased. I'm an Eagles fan, so I don't like seeing Tom Brady win. But I think personally, I was happy that he won because it was without Bill Belichick. Um, I did want to see Andy Reid win it because, again, I'm an Eagles fan, so I wanted to see him happy again. However, it just wasn't – I didn't think it lived up to the hype. I was expecting an offensive showdown. Kansas City and the Chiefs didn't really get anything going. And that was kind of disappointing to me. But I do want to give a quick shout-out to Coach Matt Midkiff. He's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. His lightning won the Stanley Cup. And back in October, we were talking about it, and he didn't think they were – he wasn't 100% positive if they were going to make it to the Super Bowl, uh, yet alone win it. He was just hoping that they'd make it to the playoffs and have some fun, and look how they did. They won the Super Bowl. um, But, again, kind of not happy Tom Brady won, but kind of indifferent because as long as it's nobody in the NFC East. How about you? What do you think? Are you – like? We were talking Sunday morning about how we thought it was going to be an offensive showdown, but didn't really live up to that. Yeah, I don't know how much of that was due to, um, you know, Mahomes with a lingering foot injury or, you know, two of his offensive linemen being out from the game. Uh, But, yeah, I was really expecting more of a shootout. Um, And, yeah, it didn't live up to the hype. And I'll admit I couldn't make it through the whole game. Uh, Kind of lost interest by the time the fourth quarter came around. But, um but yeah, Tom, coming back to Tom Brady, I personally don't like him because, you know, just the times that, you know, the time that he beat the Eagles back when Donovan McNabb was the quarterback. Um, but, you know, I am glad that we beat him with Nick Foles at the helm, but, you know, still a little upset that he never shook Nick Foles's hand <laughs> after the game you know, that time or after the Bears beat him too this year. But, um, but anyway, moving on, but Tom Brady, clearly the greatest quarterback of all time that he's he's the goat and so thinking about that i wanted to talk about some swathmore goats um i think for sake of time we should probably just talk about spring sports since we're moving into the the spring season here but um who are some of the goats at swathmore the greatest of all time and maybe let's start with uh, softball so that's a it's a very difficult topic just because there's so many different games have changed over the years but i'm going to start with barbara ann schaefer through five no hitters finished with a career 0.78 earned run average and also had a 337 batting average uh as a sophomore she was ranked in the top 10 for division three pitchers that's very impressive i think she's in our hall of fame i think it's very impressive i think she's definitely at the top of the list um that's one name I would throw out there. How about you? Do you have uh, one you want to throw out there? One that sticks out to me is Catherine Riley. I think, um, you know, she's a, a doctor. She's a professor here, but her career on the softball uh, field was just incredible. Um, you know, she could get it done in the circle or at the plate. Four career no-hitters, 77 uh, complete games, struck out 557 batters, and um, – you know, racked up 166 hits. 
at the plate as well. And I think she's tied for the uh, program best in home runs as well. So, um, and, and she's tied with Michelle Walsh, who might also be in, the, in that conversation for the softball GOAT, recently inducted into Swarthmore's Hall of Fame, program's all-time leader in total bases, batting average, slugging percentage, RBIs, home runs, and triples. Like, come on, that's, that's quite the resume. <laughs> And I think she batted 500 or over 500. Yeah, I believe up there. Yeah. 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 So that's definitely impressive. Um, So I think that those are some, you know, good considerations for goats for softball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Baseball, it's another tricky conversation because there's a lot, there's a lot of history of baseball, first of all, at Swarthmore dating back into the 1800s. And the game has obviously changed a lot in those days, you know, the, with like launch angle today and, you know, analytics. Just, yeah, <laughs> analytics. Yeah. So a lot of that has changed, but there are some names that stick out. Um, and going back to those early days of Swarthmore baseball, Swarthmore has had a couple players go pro. And um, one of those early ones was Moose Earnshaw. Mm-hmm. And he, he's in our Garnet Athletics Hall of Fame, but he was, uh, you know, a World Series winning pitcher uh, for the Philadelphia Athletics. And, you know, that's that's the highest level that you can get. And, you know, he was the starting pitcher, won a couple games in the World Series. So um, he's probably in consideration as one of those goats from from Swarthmore baseball. We, I, we don't know as much about his career while he was at Swarthmore. We're, you know, we're still working on researching that. But as far as his career afterwards in, in the MLB, pretty impressive. It's definitely impressive. And going off of that is... A 19-year-old or a 19-year vet in the majors, Dick Hall. Mm-hmm. He holds the program's top batting average of 412, a career 169 ERA, and 281 strikeouts. He, it's just unbelievable. I mean, like you said, the game has changed, but he ha- those records still hold true today. Yeah, and he played in the 1950s. So playing back in the 1950s, we're already 70 years into it. And no one – they've come close, but they haven't really fully been touched yet. So – and we're going to move on to Ed Green. He was the – he's a member of the Hall of Fame, a 1985 ABCA third-team All-American, the first baseball All-American for Swarthmore. That's, that's an impressive record to check off. He finished in 1985 with an 8-1 record, and on the mound, or in the, in the batter's box, he had a 473 batting average. So he did it both on the hill and at the plate, and he helped Swarthmore to its first MAC championship. So he was an all-around team player. Yeah, and, um, and the first uh, NCAA tournament appearance for Swarthmore baseball, too. Yes. Yeah, and he was quite the football player as well, quite the all-around athlete. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, I believe he was drafted in the 13th round by the Milwaukee Brewers. So cool. he didn't, didn't follow his football passion, but he followed his baseball passion. And that's another major league baseball player that came from Swarthmore. Yeah. And then also in consideration for, in, you know, for the greatest of all time in baseball, a um, couple of players from, you know, kind of the modern era, the more recent years, in Swarthmore baseball, some of them, you know, it's really hard to differentiate. I mean, you had really great players like Charlie Levitt, Jackson Roberts, um, you know, 
Ricky Conti, Sawyer Lake, Ryan Warm, just you know, a whole uh, Jack Corkery, just all these great pitchers, batters. Um, but I think you know, one kind of one player really kind of stands out from this modern area era, and that would be Cole Beaker. And um, I know you didn't get to see him play a lot, but um, you know, some of his some of his stats really stand out. Yeah, and that's somebody on the baseball team that you definitely mentioned to me. That's like, oh, you have to watch him play. I was fortunate enough to see him play a handful of games here at Swarthmore. Um, and I just remember him hitting a bomb against, uh, I believe it was New Jersey City, New Jersey City University in one of the last games here on campus before they left for spring break. He was a 2020 Cosida Academic All-American second team, 2019 D3Baseball.com All-American fourth team. He's the all-time leader in doubles with 56. RBIs, 154, walks, 82. And he also has some several single-season records. And he didn't get to finish out his full, his fourth year at Swarthmore. If he did, I think some of those records that are held by others right now would belong to Cole. So he's definitely a great name for consideration. Yeah, so a lot of great names in, in baseball. Um, you know, there's going to be some debate I'm sure we'll get some some feedback online uh, about names that we left off, but um, men's lacrosse, another team with a really long history, uh, a couple national championships early in the 1900s. Um, but I think you know, after looking at all the names, I'd say probably the greatest of all time in Swarthmore men's lacrosse is Avery Blake Jr. Um, first of all, he's a member of the lacrosse, the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame pretty big deal you know the mm -hmm. when the national body of your sport picks you into the into the hall of fame uh he's tied for first in the program with 132 goals scored four-time all-american uh that's saying something yeah. um and you know in 1953 this is this is interesting his senior year the team went nine and one they only lost by one goal and that was to johns hopkins uh but the team you know they were beating they beat penn state beat University of Pennsylvania, Loyola, Delaware, Lafayette, Lehigh, Drexel, you know, some storied lacrosse programs. And, um, you know, that was, um, you know, that was really a special time period for Swarthmore men's lacrosse, but Avery Blake was at the forefront of that. So I, I think above everyone else, he kind of sets himself apart. When the Hall of Fame of your sport, National Hall of Fame, calls your name, I think that says something. And just reading some, some of those accolades that you had there really make him stand out as a men's lacrosse player. Yeah. Women's lacrosse side, you know, there's, this one's a tough one too, because there have been some just really, really good women's lacrosse players in, in Swarthmore athletics history. Um, two names stick out to me, Kristen English. Uh, she was a two-time first team All-American and she was the national defender of the year. She's a member of our Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, there's another name, Julie Noyes. She only played at Swarthmore for three years, but in that time, she set the then NCAA all-time record for goals in a career in just three years. So she scored 278 times in just 47 games. Um, she was also a two-time first-team All-American. So, um, you know, her, her record has since been broken uh, as far as total goals, but for that time, I think she graduated in 1994. Um, that was the most all-time in Division Three. So pretty impressive. It's very impressive. And 
to do it, I know Kristen English um, was a two-sport athlete. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure about um, Julie Noyes, but to be able to put up those numbers mm. and have those accolades, not only just on one sport, but to put them up in multiple sports is very impressive. Yeah, for sure. Um, Matt, I'll throw it to another sport that you cover. Uh, let's talk track and field. Who are some of the, the goats? Okay, so like we mentioned, this is going to be tough to say there's one goat. Mm-hmm. Track and field, you have the field events, you have the track events. They are they're all just all over the place. So the, yeah, yeah. yeah, so they're all – it's very difficult to judge which is which. Um, so I'm going to start with – on the women's track and field side. We'll start out with Clay Connolly, Kaylin Malarkey, and Emo Akban. They're all Americans. They all hold different records, both indoor and outdoor, in their respective um, spots. However, there's one athlete that does stick out, Katie Jo McMenamin, the NCAA champion in 2016 in the 1,500-meter race. She's a three-time All-American um, in the 800 meters indoor, mile indoor, 1500 outdoor, 5,000 mile outdoor, and she holds those records as well. So I think that as an individual champion in NCAA, that definitely sets you a little bit higher than anybody else. But like we said, track and field is definitely difficult to judge because of all the different events. The sprinters aren't the same as the distance runners. Everybody's completely different. So I think we both agreed on Katie Jo McMenamin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're the best in your sport that year or best in your event that year, like that's mm-hmm. pretty hard to beat. So then on the men's track and field side, we have Peter McGinnis. He was the first All-American uh, track and field All-American for Swarthmore. He placed fifth in the pole vault at the 1975 NCAA championships and still holds the record for outdoor pole vault, which was set at the 1974 Penn Relays. Wow. Which is pretty cool because Penn Relays are very, it's a worldwide event. Mm-hmm. You have the USA versus the world uh, games, and then you have colleges and high schools coming from all over the place to compete. And if you win anything, or if you even compete at the Penn Relays, that's an impressive feat in itself. Um, the second name I would throw out there is Mark Julin an All-American in the 5,000 and the 10,000-meter race. And I believe he holds the, the school records for both of them. So, like you said, there's a, somebody on the track, somebody in the field events, but it's very difficult to judge who is the best of that sport because of all the different events that are going on. And, again, apologize, apologies for people that we may have left off and, you know, mm-hmm. we're just trying to pick out – some of the names that stick out to us and there may be some that we've missed and, you know, we want to hear about it. So let us know. But um, so a couple, a uh, couple more spring sports that we want to get through um, golf um, Swarthmore for the most part uh, has just had a men's golf team for a long time. Um, they have had some women competing as individuals. Most recently, Amanda Beebe, who was a uh, all centennial performer while she was here. Um, and as, on the men's side, um, 
one name really stood out to me, and this has kind of been interesting as we've been doing some of this historical research through our archives, I've been looking through old newspaper clippings, but uh, Harry Haverstick, class of 1940, um, this is, you know, I'm just finding this out that he actually competed for the NCAA national championship in 1940, and he was the runner up. Um, so they used to do uh, match play where they would, you know, you compare your score uh, hole by hole basis and you'd get a, you know, get a point if you won that hole and they would like kind of do head to head matchups and he just kept eliminating people until uh, got all the way to the championship round and lost by one, one hole. So it was, it was very close to being Swarthmore's first individual NCAA champion. Um, and back then, you know, there wasn't division one, two, and three. Uh, so he, he lost to someone from university of Virginia. Um, but, you know, beat someone from Duke on the way there and, uh, you know, just a bunch of other, you know, big division now division one schools on his way there. So quite the golfer. He actually played in the U S open later in life, but, um, yeah, quite the accomplished golfer. Still doing some more research, finding out about his accolades, but I think, based on you know kind of what I just said, he he sticks out as the goat for uh, men's golf. And it's definitely interesting you say that he lost to somebody from the University of Virginia, because mm -hmm. the Southern schools tend to be better in the golf realm. That's true; they have more time to be outside. And yeah, if you look at your background, that was just a few days ago. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh... There weren't indoor golf simulators like we have here at Swarthmore back in 1940. So I don't know where Harry Haverstick was practicing during the winter. Actually, he was playing basketball at Swarthmore during the winter to, to stay active. Um, but yeah, he uh, quite the accomplished golfer for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, moving on to women's tennis. Um Lots of really great women's tennis players in the history, but um, Anjani Reddy, who is in our Hall of Fame, um, really sticks out to me. And you know, as we were looking at this, um, it, her Hall of Fame bio like leads off with she went fifty and zero in Centennial Conference matches. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so like, <Yeah. laughs> okay, you didn't lose a single Centennial Conference you know match in your four years. All right. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, four four times Centennial Player of the Year. So every year she was here, she was a Centennial Player of the Year, and she was a three time All American. So uh, she gets my my vote as the greatest of all time. I think that one definitely stands out. Uh, like you said, four time Centennial Player of the Year. Every year you're Centennial Player of the Year. I think that automatically sends you into your school's Hall of Fame. You would yeah. hope at least, but didn't lose a single match, and then had three All American honors that's impressive yeah men's tennis um this gets a little tricky because men's tennis has won four national championships um and you know in some very different eras um so it, this is kind of tricky so we might get some pushback on some of these but some names i'll throw out there um first one this one's a maybe tim Koss. Uh, from the 1950s, he won the MAC championship uh, seven times in, um, I guess, four times in singles, three times in doubles. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Um, and then I want to go to Shep Davidson. Uh, 
He's in our Hall of Fame, five-time All-American, finished third in the NCAA singles tournament. He won the NCAA doubles tournament with uh, teammate Jeff Krieger, and they won the team tournament, um, and he was named the National Senior of the Year. So that one's, that's a pretty good resume there. Then you got Steve Brown. He was a member of the 1981 championship team, five-time All-American as well. He was the number one seed in NCAA singles tournament. You've got the pairing of Larry Davidson and John Irwin. They won the 1976 NCAA doubles championship, and they were the first individual champions in school history. Um, Steve Tigner is another name I would throw out there, class of 91, seven-time All-American, and his team won the 1990 national championship. So I know there's names that we have looked over, um, you know, that just, that could be in consideration for this. So again, apologies for, for missing people, but uh, those are some of the names in consideration for the greatest of all time. They all have impressive resumes. I mean, I don't think, like you said, there's one just to pick out there because you have a national champion, you have a seven time Mac champion, you have, seven-time All-American, mm-hmm. how do you just choose one? You can't. Right. Um, and you said this is very difficult because they have national championships, mm-hmm. um, and the list is just longer, but this is just the list that you narrowed down, and I think you did a great job, and I'd have to agree with those names. Well, I think we got through everyone on the spring sports side. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break. We are going to – see a little introduction about the uh, Garnet Healthy Mind Minute. Uh, it's a new you know, video initiative that we're gonna be rolling out videos promoting mental health. We're gonna roll that clip and we'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Garnet Healthy Mind Minute. This is our first video of a fun series we are doing. Uh, today, we're gonna talk about returning to campus or not. And the point is, is that you're not alone as you make these decisions and how you're engaging with school for the spring term of 2021. And the more we can talk about our stresses and worries, the more normalized it becomes. And you realize you have a community of people, whether they're your friends, your family, your classmates, uh, your teammates. And the more we can communicate with each other and get out and about, the more we can manage through this because this isn't gonna last forever, Um, but it is for the spring term. So we wanna make it as enjoyable and stress-free as we possibly can. Try and roll in as much of fun and normality as we can and continue to talk about it because the worst place that these thoughts can stay is in your mind without sharing them. Um, I hope you found this a helpful minute and look forward to seeing you in the next series. Well, that was a Garnet Healthy Mind Minute. Thank you, Amber, for that. And be on the lookout for more as they come in the future. So we're moving on to our next segment. Uh, most memorable games that we've worked. Do you want to get started since you have a little bit uh, more background here at Swarthmore? Sure, yeah. So I've been at Swarthmore since 2015. Crazy to think about. But uh, so, yeah, I've I've seen a considerable more games at Swarthmore than you have, Matt, in your six months here or whatever, uh, or six months of games anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely been man so many games that uh, stick out to me. Um, I'll start with one and then I'll bounce it over to you for one that you can think of. But um, 
going back to 2017, I got to travel with uh, Swarthmore women's soccer to Johns Hopkins for the Centennial Conference Championship Tournament. Um, and, you know, the reason that this game sticks out to me is that it went to PKs and Swarthmore went with Summer Dennison in goal during PKs. And Summer had, she was a senior. She had been a field player her first three years. Swarthmore was in need of a backup goalie her senior year. And, you know, she stepped up. She's like, coach, I, I feel like this is how I could help out the team. I want to learn to be a goalie. Um, and so she, you know, did all this work, all this training to be prepared for that. And she got her chance in PKs with the Centennial Conference Championship on the line. Um, she recorded two saves and Swarthmore won PKs three to one to clinch the Centennial Conference Championship. So that uh, that definitely stands out to me as one of the one of the most memorable games that I've been a part of here. Yeah, that's an impressive story because it's definitely a team player right there. Yeah. Um, like I said, I started back in October 2019. So my sample size is a little bit shorter, smaller than you. But I'm going to start with Swarthmore men's soccer. Um, the result wasn't really what we wanted, but it was when we were hosted Connecticut College here during the NCAA tournament in 2019. Um, <laughs> the atmosphere was electric. The students, faculty and staff and the community all came out to watch this team. It went into overtime. They already beat. They won two games um, on the road in the NCAA tournament, came home to host the next round. It was impressive because that was my first real kind of experience with all the fans here, the whole community coming out. Um, we've had people, I mean, big crowds at different events, but nothing like this. This was a, the atmosphere. They were all on their feet the entire time. It was just great to see the support that the student athletes have from everybody here at Swarthmore. Yeah, there's just something different about being in the NCAA tournament, and especially when it's on your home field or home court. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, continuing with the NCAA tournament games, uh, another one that sticks out to me from 2018, I traveled with baseball to the uh, NCAA regionals, and they were playing. We were up in Auburn, New York. It's a, a double elimination tournament. We had already beaten Southern Maine once and we had to play them again. It was getting really late because of uh, there was all these rain delays and games that had happened before and we were waiting for them to finish. So we didn't start this game until I think 9.20, 9.30 was the first pitch. So it was late. We were really, we weren't sure if we were gonna get it in. And, um, but if we won this game, you know, we'd eliminate Southern Maine and move on to the College World Series. So we're like, we, we want to play this game tonight. We don't want to, you know, stay here, sleep on here another day and have to do this the next day. Like, we've got momentum. Like, let's play this tonight. Um, so we started it. Um, we were losing in the fifth inning. Southern Maine has the bases loaded. And Charles Groppy is on the mound. Uh, bases loaded, nobody out. I'm like, oh no, like this, this game, like it could go off the rails, like really quickly here. But, uh, he, he struck out the next three batters and got out of the jam without allowing a run to come home. Um, and there was a moment I'd have to double check the box where, but I feel like there was a moment where he had a full count and there was a pitch that was 
the umpire waited really long to give the to give to call whether it was a ball or a strike and it would have walked in you know a, another run um but he got the strike and like just i was taking pictures and just seeing his face like light up like go from like no i walked in a run to <laughs> oh i struck him out i i'm pretty sure it was the third out of the inning but um anyway so the that game we took the lead the game was still going after midnight uh, the bullpen's in and pitching and Zach Gonzalez is in the clock hits midnight. He gets out of the inning, uh, like right, pretty much right at midnight. His teammate, his teammates realize that it's, it's the next day technically. And that it was actually Zach Gonzalez's birthday that day. So at midnight, <laughs> we start singing happy birthday to him as he walks off the field. So um, ended up winning that game well after midnight and advancing to the college world series so that that game definitely sticks out to me as a, a memorable moment for sure yeah um so sticking with mine's a season not necessarily just a game mine's a season uh Swarthmore men's basketball 2019 2020 season um from the beginning of the season all the way through the end they were number one they had an undefeated regular season they made it to the conference championship and then they were hosting the NCAA tournament before everything got shut down. But just seeing how those student athletes handled everything, handled the pressure of being number one the entire season was memorable because they just said, okay, it's another game. We'll move on. Another game. Anytime that they faced some sort of adversity, they moved on and made sure that they just knew just another game. We can come back from it. Um, you even had the national rookie of the year. And Vinny D'Angelo, and he's somebody that's local. Like we were talking about how student athletes are from all over the place, and the student population are from all over the country. Vinny D'Angelo is from Aston, about 10, 15 minutes from here, not even. And having the local coverage from him helped. But then we had the city. We're Philadelphia is a big basketball city. You have the Sixers, you have the Philadelphia Big Five. And those are the Division One schools for the Philadelphia Big Five. Mm -hmm. Then you have the other Division Two schools. Then you get down to Division Three, where we don't get as much coverage from the media. But having the Philadelphia media come out and say, "Whoa, Swarthmore's undefeated. They're number one in the country. They're on a roll. Here they are." That's really cool. Just seeing from like where I grew up, it's you don't really see much about Swarthmore, and then you finally see it, and it's like, "Huh." Don't know who. So that's definitely a memorable season for me. And I have another memorable game, but um, those, I'll switch gears. It's back to the fall. Is the 2019 um, conference, Centennial Conference tournament for volleyball. Hmm. We were at Haverford. We had just lost to them earlier in the week to end the regular season. We were just trying to wait, wait and see what's going to happen with the seating and how everything's going to pan out. So we ended up being the road team at Haverford. Um, we lost the first set and then second, third, and fourth set immediately we won. So it was pretty cool seeing the excitement and the students turn out for the road game too, mm -hmm. because we were, on the road against Haverford. And then from there, we went on to play the eventual national champions and Johns Hopkins at Johns Hopkins in the Centennial sem semifinals. 
So that's two quick ones for me. Um, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to see a lot in your, in your first year here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just do one more. I, this game sticks out to me just because of how crazy it was from a statistics perspective. I was um, keeping stats for this game and I promise I didn't fudge any of the numbers. These are real numbers. Uh, 2019 Swarthmore versus MIT men's basketball, second round of the national tournament, NCAA national tournament. And this was a big game. Swarthmore is ranked sixth. MIT was ranked 12th. I think Swarthmore, you know, had one of the hot, hardest pods in the tournament that year. Um, and, you know, Swarthmore just ran MIT out of the gym. It was unreal. You know, the fans were all chanting safety school at, at MIT and all, like, it was just an absolutely nutty environment. You know, people wearing hot dog costumes and all, <laughs> all sorts of different things. But the, the statistical side of it, Swarthmore made 13 straight uh, three-pointers, setting an NCAA Division III record. They just couldn't miss. It was crazy. Um, in the first half, it, from, uh, from the floor, they shot 89% in the first half. It was just like make after make after make after make. Um, and they, for the game, they cooled off a little bit in the second half, but they shot 72.5% for the whole game. It was, I had never seen a shooting performance like that. And who knows if I'll ever see one, you know, even remotely close to that again, just because that was such an anomaly. But yeah, Swarthmore, I believe the final score is 105 to 65, just absolutely ran MIT out of the gym uh, with how hot they were shooting. So that is probably one of the most memorable games I've been a part of. Like you said, the stats just speak for itself. 13 consecutive threes and running MIT out of the gym is astonishing. Like, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not in the NCAA tournament, too. It wasn't just some, like, random game, like, you know, random conference opponent, that schedule filler. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, those were some of our most memorable moments from games. And we are going to uh, send it over to Max Miller, Assistant Athletic Director for Recreation and Wellness, to get an update from him about what's going on this semester in recreation and wellness and PE. Um, thanks for having me on with you today. Uh, excited to share um, what's going on. So um, over the last few weeks uh, within intramural sports, we have been um, getting people to sign up for our League of Legends um, ongoing uh, season for the spring semester. We started it in the fall um, with just a, a round robin tournament. And there was great success um, over... Uh, 55 people were playing. Um, there was a Discord channel created, and uh, there was desire to start uh, looking into streaming onto Twitch um, once a week, and especially with the playoff matchups. So that's going to be uh, an ongoing season um, that will culminate in a playoff tournament to end the spring semester. So looking forward to having um, more students participating this semester, um, in addition to some faculty and staff members on campus. I know there's some uh, folks within CS that are uh, chomping at the bit to, to get in on the action. Um, so that's going to be exciting to add um, to the intramural sports programming, um, obviously done virtually. Um, 
bringing back the words with friends competition for yet another semester. Um, that's always a great hit. Uh, I'm going to see if somebody can uh, beat our back-to-back -back champion. Um, Georgina within HR is now our goat of uh, words with friends. Um, so we'll see how, uh, how the competition stacks up to take down uh, Georgina within HR. Um, and then around March, uh, going to do a little March Madness um, tournament with NBA 2K um, and FIFA. And uh, we'll see if there's any interest for Rocket League, um, which is a great cross-platform game. Um, so that's some highlights from Interrail Sports. Uh, for this semester, for group exercise, there's 11 classes that will be offered throughout the week um, on Zoom and then live stream to YouTube so that anybody um, can take the class at whatever time fits them. Um, adding in gentle yoga on Sunday mornings um, is sort of a recovery restorative practice um, in addition to um, the other uh, classes that take place during the week. There's Pilates, some strength classes, and uh, obviously a few other yoga classes during the week. Um, and then with, with PE, uh, looking to um, have a, we're having a great um, offering this semester um, with our physical education courses. Um, and especially once the weather turns for spring two, the second half of the semester, we're gonna be moving outdoors for outdoor yard games, ultimate Frisbee, and a few courses of walk, jog, run. Um, ultimate Frisbee is a throwback for some of our alum um, to the earlier 2000s and uh, looking to bring that back to uh, get people some uh, great experience to the sport um, and have fun with uh, our coach, Eric Wagner, who's gonna be leading that. People can definitely follow along um, on social media, specifically Instagram for SWAT Recwell um, to see what uh, program offerings are out there. Thanks for the update, Max. Now on to our next subject, obscure box score. Uh, we've come across many different box scores throughout this project of historical archiving. Um, sometimes the box scores, we have to be very gentle with them because the paper is so old that it might just fall apart in our hands. What is your most obscure box score that you've come across? All right, so yeah, like you said, we found some really interesting box scores, really interesting notes in the, con and, you know, things that they, whoever filled out the box score probably thought wouldn't be online 70 years from now or whatever, or from when they, <laughs> Did them, but um, the one that stands out to me this is one of my favorites. Uh, just happened across it from Men's Soccer, October 18th, 1985, or excuse me, 1958. Um, Swarthmore versus Johns Hopkins. Swarthmore won 2 0. Um, always great beating Johns Hopkins, but mm -hmm. I'm looking at the, the game details of the box score. They've got the starting lineup filled out there. Um, they list the goal scores. And then at the bottom in the game details, it says dog on field, much of second half. So <laughs> I would love, you know, I'd love if, if there was a broadcast of that game. Um, you know, it's like having a dog streaking across the field for much of the second half and them just like trying, well, I guess we're just going to keep playing and just avoid the dog. So uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely an obscure box score in my, in my book. Yeah, so did they just not stop the game and try to get the dog off the field, I wonder? I don't know. Yeah, they maybe tried it first, and they're just like, you know what? <clears throat> it's a lost cause. Let's just keep playing. So if anybody has any information on this, please let us know. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> if you're on the 1958 men's soccer team and you're <laughs> that, we want to hear about it. 
so I'll stick in the 1950s a little bit for just a brief uh, segment. Um, 1950s baseball had a lot of games canceled because of the flu. Hmm. I thought it was kind of ironic because, well, we had several games canceled this past year because of COVID-19. But also in the 1950s, I couldn't find the exact box score, but when I remember scanning it, um, somebody wrote in the game detail for the weather. Usually it's sunny, cold, um, windy, beautiful day, except they wrote horrible day, raining, cold. Why are we playing? <laughs> so I don't blame them for writing that, but like you said, I don't think they'd expect it to be on the internet. Yeah. So it's somewhere out there on our comprehensive history. Um, if I find it, I'll make sure to let you know of it. But there was one that's more of a, I'm glad I kind of found it because there was more that I didn't know about. Uh, Stan Cope, class 1976. He made his collegiate pitching debut on April 14th, 1973. He threw a no-hitter in his collegiate debut. <laughs> Had no idea that that was even in our record books until I saw, was able to find the box score, and then with it was a little newspaper article. So he struck out or struck out five batters and walked one in seven innings of game two of a doubleheader. They beat pharmacy, a pharmacy school, which is now the University of Sciences, 16 to nothing. Hmm. So going back, like we said, baseball has its history, and I just thought that was a very interesting game. Yeah, I mean, imagine that feeling like you're playing your first collegiate game and you pitch a no-hitter, you're like, oh, like, wow, this is this is pretty great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a lot of pressure after that. I know. Yeah, seriously. I wonder what his second outing was like. But yeah. Well, if they had uh, Coach Mitkiff, what he would do right now if some one of his student-athletes did that. Yeah, yeah. Matt, I think that brings us to the end of our segments. I know we wanted to, um, you know, we've been talking a lot of history in Swarthmore Athletics, and we do want to make a final appeal to people that have made it all the way through this video and through this podcast. If you're still watching, you're still with us, we want to hear – who you think should be in the Swarthmore Athletics Hall of Fame. We've tossed around a lot of names and, you know, some of them, some of those names, they might not be eligible yet because you do have to be uh, 10 years removed from graduation. Uh, but some, you know, it might be their time to be in the Hall of Fame. We didn't have a 2020 class, but we will have a 2021 class, hopefully. Uh, and we do, you know, we are taking nominations. So um, if you do have someone in mind, uh, or a team in mind that you think would be a good fit, please let us know. You can do that by, uh, you can email myself or Matt. Um, you can email athletics at swathmore.edu, or you can fill out a nomination form on swathmoreathletics.com, or just, you know, send us a mention on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at SWAT Athletics. And, you know, we'll get to it and we'll start researching that name and see uh, you know, present them to the committee to see if they're worthy of the Hall of Fame. So, you know, with that, I think we're going to be signing off uh, on today's episode of the Swarthmore Athletics Podcast. We tried something different today. We hope you like it. And, you know, we hope that we'll have more episodes like this in the future. For, uh, for Matt Judge, I'm Brandon Hodnett signing off and have a great night. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Swarthmore Athletics Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and share it with your friends.